Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, holder of a big blue book. And in your face, blood and guts, punching and kicking, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 7th of October, 1993. Boom! Shake the Room is still top of the pops and... The Fugitive is still running away with it at the top of the box office. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our Fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injury, is four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house in that area. Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Now, last week we talked about Boom Shake the Room, banger of a tune. So this week, let's chat about The Fugitive, because that is also a banger of a film and a successful adaptation from TV to film. In fact, we're in a bit of a renaissance for that kind of idea. We've had the Adams Family. Adams Family Values is just around the corner. That is in our future. And here we get The Fugitive, which is a different beast altogether because the Adams Family has a hook. You know, they're creepy and they're yeah. spooky. They're altogether kooky. Whereas The Fugitive is more just concept. It's a strong concept, but it's a concept and one that ties back to a film that we covered during season two. Yes, of course, Under Siege. Because the director of Under Siege went on to direct The Fugitive and Under Siege was kind of his audition piece. Harrison Ford saw that and then pegged him and wanted him in for The Fugitive. 
I actually have stronger memories of the TV show than the film, hmm. purely because BBC Two, when the film came out, started airing the TV series on Sunday afternoons. Right. I'll be honest, I didn't see the film until many, many years later. I don't think I saw The Fugitive until either I was at university or perhaps even after. But the thing that I, I, I knew of The Fugitive, though, because that scene, where he jumps out of the dam and it's you know the, the standoff scene between uh, Harrison Ford and, and Tommy Lee Jones was parodied so much across various forms of media that I felt like I had seen it. I think I'd seen Jane Silent Bob strike back before I had seen The Fugitive. Put the monkey down and your hands up. Let's go, misters. You want to get shot? I didn't think so. Look, man, she doesn't want to go back to the lab. And for the record, I ain't gay. And for the record, while we're on the subject, I knew that that wasn't a real little boy. For one more record, Pete loves the coke. <gasps> on your knees, Texas Pete. Let's go. That scene was everywhere. It was in the trailer. It was, it was not a big surprise by the time you actually get to see the film. I reckon it was probably on ITV's Movies, 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 which then became Movies, Games and Videos. That's probably where I recognise it. That was a weird show because essentially that was just a whole bunch of EPKs with a radio DJ doing the voiceover. <laughs> exactly. It is strange how much it still sticks in the head because it also it had the most 90s graphics, lots of bright neon colours. I won a competition on there once. Did you really? What did you win? I won Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on Video. Right. And a big merch pack for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Amazing. That's wicked. Which included a t-shirt that was compressed down into a bath. <laughs> so then you put it in the water and it expanded. That's so cool. It wasn't the top prize. I didn't win the top prize. The top prize was like a trip to Disney. Yeah. I, I got yeah. one of the like three runners-up prizes, but it was proof positive that those competitions could at least in part be won. Yeah, absolutely. I actually re-watched uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids not too long ago. It was one of the first things I watched when I got Disney Plus eventually. That film proper holds up. That is a five-star classic, that flick. And I'm overjoyed to say, and we will get back to The Fugitive, we will get <laughs> to the fireworks factory falling off a waterfall. Fireworks factory! But I'm overjoyed to say that Rick Moranis is back and there is a reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids coming to Disney Plus in the next year or so. And I am so psyched, <laughs> not because I think it's going to be particularly great, but because we get to see Rick Moranis again. Do you see that advert he did with Ryan Reynolds? I loved it's, it. <laughs> I, I loved it. It's, it's one of my favourite things that's happened this year. So to introduce it, we brought in an actor we've all gone too long without. Rick Moranis. So what do you want me to do? You want me to say something about men? Uh, no, that would have been smart. But uh, no, it's $30, it's unlimited. It'll do just fine. Sounds good. I really got to get a phone. So why am I here? I'm just a huge fan. Oh, stop it. Come on, no, stop it. seriously. Massive. That's it? That's it. See ya. Hi, Rick Moranis. Ryan Reynolds brought Rick Moranis in. Why? Because he wanted to see Rick Moranis again. And what happens after that, Ryan Reynolds? Some dick punches Rick Moranis in the face. Fuck that guy. Absolutely fuck that guy. The worst bit about the guy, and yes, we'll get back to the fugitive, but the worst <laughs> thing about the guy that punched Rick Moranis is he didn't know he was Rick Moranis 
which I think is actually worse. You just randomly decide to punch a dude, and of all the people you could punch, you punched Rick Moranis. I would rather I was the one punched than Rick Moranis. <laughs> he is a precious, precious human, and, and he should be protected. We just got him back. Leave him alone. But anyway, the fugitive, as I said... Oh, based- the fireworks factory. The fireworks factory. <laughs> fireworks factory! The fireworks factory owned by the one-armed man because this is based on the 1960s (laughs) American television show. Uh, Dr. Richard Kimball, in this iteration, played by Harrison Ford, is framed for the murder of his wife and unjustly sentenced to death. He escapes from custody and sets out to find his wife's actual killer, capture him and clear his name while being hunted by the police and a team of US Marshals, the US Marshals being led by Tommy Lee Jones. Now, this came out in America August 1993 and we're here, what, October? Yep. That's not a bad time difference at this point in film history because we could wait anything up to six, seven months for a film at this point. I mean, as I mentioned the other week, X-Files, we got to wait a year to get that on TV. But it debuted in August 93. It was a critical and commercial success. It had a budget of around $45 million and it grossed in excess of $370 million. Oh, that's a big boy. The third highest grossing film of 93 domestically in the US. And realistically, the only reason it's only third is because Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. It was nominated for Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Tommy Lee Jones won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and it is viewed as one of the best action films of the 1990s. There was a spin-off. Was there? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones in US Marshals. It was the same character. I don't think I've ever seen U.S. Marshals. I actually think I've seen U.S. Marshals more recently than The Fugitive. (laughs) But when I saw this was coming up, I did throw it on my watch list because I thought I should revisit that because Mm. the TV series is fun, but it's a long way round to tell a story that is actually told far more succinctly in this movie. This movie's a great length. It's kind of a good hangover movie. Yeah, I, I get what you mean there. And it's funny as well. You know how I was talking about how there are references made to this movie that I saw like multiple times over before I actually saw the movie. One of them just jumped back to me then when you mentioned the one-armed man. And the first thing I thought of is the mask and him turning around to the cop there and going, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. It was parodied in movies current, and you mentioned Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back. Now, that was eight to nine years later. It was a great role for Harrison Ford, but he was almost not Dr. Richard Kimball. Other actors were considered, at least one of which I find hysterical. So, Alec Baldwin, because if you're making a big movie in Hollywood, you've got to have one of the Baldwins in there. It may as well be Alec. Kevin Costner... Mm-hmm. That could have been okay. He that makes sense. That would have been a good time for Kevin Costner to get this role. Yeah, Michael Douglas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, you, those two names there are sort of you know they're hot off Dancers with Wolves and Basic Instinct. Like they are, they are sort of they're big names at this point. But the one I'd love to have seen, and I'd love to have seen him as he is now, is Nick Nolte because Nick <laughs> Nolte from Angel Has Fallen. There's a guy that I would look at and go, I could believe that he killed anyone yeah nick nolte is easily the only real reason to watch angel has fallen even if you've not seen the previous two just watch it for nick nolte because i want a spin-off film of nick nolte who's playing gerard butler's dad in this film he lives in a hut he is essentially a cross between rambo and the unabomber yes it is worth pointing out that you know this bit of casting here that was lined up for rich kimball this is this is cape fear 
Nick Nolte. This is not Angley's Hulk, Nick Nolte. I'll be honest, that's my favourite Nick Nolte performance. And be reborn a hero of the kind that walked earth long before the pale religions of civilization infected humanity's soul. I'm a fan of of screaming sore throat Nick Nolte. <laughs> Nick Nolte, angry screaming Nick Nolte should play everyone. Angry screaming Nick Nolte as Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> angry screaming Nick Nolte as the shark in Jaws. In addition, other people for the Tommy Lee Jones character Gene Hackman that would have been a great choice, and John Voight also would have been a great choice. But genuinely, I'm really happy with the cast because this was peak Harrison Ford. He'd shaken off the spectre of Han Solo, only for it to come back and bite him in the arse 20 years later. And Tommy Lee Jones, Men in Black is only a couple of years in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I heartily recommend checking out The Fugitive. Go out there, have fun with it. Well, there's no real big releases to cover this week. The only one I thought I'd make mention is that Lost Vikings got its release on the Super Nintendo in Japan. The only reason I bring that up is because we had it reviewed back in Series 2. So what's kind of going on in the magazine, Ash? Well, Luke, on Games Master tonight, spoilers, it's a fighting game special. So let's have a couple of bits from the magazine to do with fighting games. Now, we mentioned this a few episodes ago, but there is an article here that says Street Fighter 3 is here. And can you remember what I said when I read you that headline? I can't, but I can tell you I thought it was... I'm pretty sure I said f***ing bullshit, lad. That was pretty much it, yeah. Because even they admit, well, sort of. By the time you read this, you should be able to nip out to that arcade down the road and play, hold your breath, an entirely new version of Street Fighter 2. It's called Super Street Fighter 2, and it features four new characters, more backgrounds, better graphics, and new moves for many of the existing characters, including Bison's Devil Reverse and Vega's fence-based Sky High Crow. So then, the new characters, DJ Maximum, who's a bit of a Balrog-esque boxer with dancey-type moves. Ooh. <laughs> now... That's a basic way of looking at it as well, isn't it? That's that's a really bad way of looking at it, because there's only one thing I can think that Balrog and DJ have in common. Yes. Except they don't. <laughs> DJ has his hands taped. <laughs> It's close enough. It's close enough. It was the <laughs> 90s. Let's move on. We also have Guile's daughter, Cammy. Uh, whoa, hold on. Hold the phone there. I mean, if Guile was shagging around in England... Yeah, at, at a very young age as well. But she's described as a hard-bodied foil to Chun-Li's zippy frolicking. I mean, that, because she's that a bit's woman. accurate. No, no, that bit's accurate <laughs> because, I mean, she's known for basically just being pure ass muscle in those games and she's a lot less floaty than Chun-Li to play with she's 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 quick but she's also I guess denser in game mechanic and it, and it's all leg-based combat as well no no she's got that spinning back fist yes but the rest of her things like she's got her her torpedo move is all legs uh when you catch them in the air her mid-air throw is all legs and basically dragon punch with feet yes <laughs> Fei Long is a Kung Fu Bruce Lee type geezer. I mean, that's just accurate. He really is. Fun fact, that's why he's not in the Street Fighter movie. Steven D'Souza, he really resisted putting every character from Street Fighter and Super Street Fighter 2 into the movie. That was a Capcom decision. 
Stephen D'Souza's original plan was to only have seven characters from the series. And even then he thought that was a bit of a push. But Capcom just kept adding characters. And they basically said to him, it's like, can this character in the script be this character from the game? That's why Balrog is a cameraman. That is why Dalsim is a doctor. It's, it's why some of these characters sort of fall into these roles. But the only one Stephen D'Souza said no to was Fei Long because he was a Bruce Lee ripoff and he didn't want to put him in a movie. But last but not least, we've got T-Hawk, an enormous Indian or perhaps Native American. No, Native American is the correct term with yeah. some delightful sounding moves. Concord Dive, Mexican Typhoon... Yeah, I think it was called Mexican Typhoon as well. So really, that's just Capcom <laughs> going, eh, same continent, close enough. Yeah, pretty much. Check out next month's arcade section for a more in-depth look at the game. And you know what, Luke? We'll be able to do that because between our last recording session and this recording session, I have now obtained every issue of Games Master Magazine that we will need to take us all the way through to not just the end of this series, but to the end of the show. Nice. I know, it's going to be an absolute relief because I've been looking at the coming months going, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but even in this caption they've got, they've got a picture of the artwork of Cammy. They say she's Guile's daughter and do point out, hang on, wasn't that Amy? <laughs> I'm wondering if it's just a broken translation because I'm looking at the other character descriptions they have next to the pictures. We've got a picture of DJ Maximum and it says, we're pretty sure he's British. Yeah? Just no. <laughs> and Baylog, top Bruce Lee type geezer. Yeah, that's fair. And T-Hawk fights near his reservation. Possibly a bit of a rain dance special move. No, no, just <laughs> stop, guys. Oh, God, that's cringeworthy. And lastly, for this magazine fighting game special, as I think we've said, this is a golden era of gaming. And it's a golden era of fighting games because not only do you have Street Fighter in many various and colourful iterations, Mortal Kombat is here and SNK is beginning to dip its toes into more serious waters. And you know what's important if you're playing a lot of fighting games and you want to get good? Fighting sticks. But what do you need to know to do on the fighting sticks? A dragon punch, or at least a fireball. You need the moves. And, even more importantly, as you step up a level, you need combos. And so this is where magazines really started to come into their own because you got sections like this one, which I'm waving on camera, which detail basic combos for all of the Street Fighter characters. And I tell you what, could have probably done with some of these on the upcoming episode. Yeah, absolutely. But while the combos are good enough, what I love is there's a two-page spread here for Mortal Kombat and it basically has all of the moves for each character and most importantly, how to do their fatality. This is a Mega Drive special. It tells you the cheat mode, which we'll also talk about a bit later. It's got general tips on how to win matches. And yeah, it's giving you those fatalities. It's telling you how to punch someone's head off. It's telling you how to rip someone's heart out. It's all that stuff that you are going to sit there with this magazine and stare at the screen going, why? Why doesn't it work? Now, you played Mortal Kombat on the Mega Drive. It wasn't your copy. Yes. You borrowed it from a friend, if I'm correct, or played it around his house. That's absolutely correct, especially if your mum is listening. Hello, mum. <laughs> How did you get on with fatalities? So I learned a very good trick early on in my Mortal Kombat playing, which is that most of the fatalities, the perfect distance to be away from someone is one jump away. So Sub-Zero is you need to be right next to them. Johnny Cage needs to be right next to them. Kenny needs to be right next to them. But something like a uh, Raiden or a Scorpion, you walk right up to them, jump backward once, 
and then input the combo. And you are the absolutely perfect distance in order to execute it. How did you get on with the actual button presses itself? I was actually really, really good at it. Uh, not to, to brag, but I was actually really good. I, I remember once challenging myself to go through a run of Mortal Kombat with every character winning every single match with a fatality, telling the story in my head that, you know, you were absolutely, you were killing everyone as you went along. Including, you know, when you do the mirror phase and you fight up against yourself, that was your evil twin. Um, but yeah, so like it, I, I've, I was always pretty, pretty good at it. I never really struggled with fatalities. Not the first one anyway. With the second one, I was a bit better at the first one, I was okay. And the second one, you had the complication of which fatality, because a lot of characters, this is when you started to get multiple fatalities, you started to get your friendships, yeah. your babalities, and more stage fatalities as well. Yeah, and I played it a lot less than I did the first one. I played the first one to death. I played the second one a lot less because I didn't know anyone who had it. Hello, welcome to Games Master. Tonight we present a punching and kicking, blood and guts, in your face, beat em up special. Not to mention our Gladiator Championships finale. Whoa. Well, as you said, this is a beat-em-up special, a punching, kicking, blood and guts type of beat-em-up special. Although, on the subject of blood and guts, there is no Mortal Kombat here, so it's very much more of the punching and kicking variety. Plus, the finale of that Gladiators Challenge will also be on this show. When Dex introduced this episode as a beat-em-up special, I did think, well, it was the style at the time. But also, I'm dead excited, even though we've actually pretty much just had a beat-em-up special on this show. Like, episode four was advertised as a beat-em-up special. Episode one was all beat-em-up. It was, it was all Mortal Kombat. And I was still dead excited for this one. And the only issue I've got with this episode, and I'll lay it on the ground now because it will become apparent as we go along, is the first game and the final game should have been switched around. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah, totally. But one thing I'll say is this is a beat-em-up special, and do you know what makes me think of beat-em-ups, Luke? What's that? Air horns. <laughs> they are in full effect. It is. They've taken away the tin cups for now, but the air horn <laughs> is back. Well, let's find out what the air horn will be ruining first from the Games Master. The first test of games playing skill tonight is on the definitive combat game. Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition on the Super Nintendo. I'm sure you're familiar with the original, but this new version is extremely fast, testing our contestants to their limits. It's the best of three rounds, and only the strongest will survive. So prepare for some turbocharged action. Yes, it is the definitive fighting game. So definitive, it got 86% in Episode 1 review. Uh, but this is Street Fighter 2 Turbo, the extremely fast version of Street Fighter 2. And the definitive version. No mention of Special Champion Edition. So clearly, Special Champion Edition is not the definitive version, Luke. We've auditioned literally hundreds of Street Fighters and come up with the four best from around the country. Please give a big welcome for Carl Fullock from High Wycombe, Tim Gillard from Bath, Ramon Navarro and Pooja Shah from London. Give it up. Okay, Tim. Now, I can't help but notice you're carrying a rather large big blue book. Well, it's to hold my control pad. Oh, you want to make sure that you win? Oh, yeah, easy. Uh, does the book help? What kind of book is it? Oh, it's just an atlas, but it provides a hard You brought that with you, did you? Oh, yeah, of course. He came prepared. Did you come prepared? Um, no, just my skill. Good one, Carl. Okay, then. What about you, Ramon? You look feeling confident? Guess so, yeah. Yeah, of course you are. What about you, Pooja? You're up against all these blokes. That doesn't worry you. Yeah. Don't be scared. You'll bash them up. Don't you worry. You're going to do them. No problems there. Well, apparently hundreds have been auditioned for this Street Fighter Challenge, and they whittled it down to four. Carl from High Wycombe, Tim from Bath, Ramon and Pooja from North London. But Tim here, already setting himself out from the pack, is a bloody pro at this because he's got a special 
special trick up his sleeve. He's got a big blue atlas. He does. And immediately, as soon as he comes down and he's carrying his atlas and he says, oh, it's for to put my joypad on, I'm thinking, you play crab hand style. I know this because I play this style quite often, particularly more with Mortal Kombat than Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2, I don't need to do it, but Mortal Kombat, I do slightly better with that layout on a fight pad. It's a great tip because you're more able to use all of your fingers for quicker button pushes. and it does set him apart. It does immediately elevate him and make me go, well, I'm not sure all of these people are the best four Street Fighter players in the country. Not by a long shot, actually, any of them. Yeah. But at least one of them is definitely upping his game, and at least two of the others are definitely decent quality players. Oh, yeah. There's only one that isn't, in my opinion, and unfortunately, it's the only girl in the four. Yeah. And... She just looks out of her element throughout most of this, and I feel horrible for her on that front. But we'll get to that a bit later. Indeed, yeah. I would say that Tim, Carl, and Ramon have put a lot of hours into Street Fighter 2 on the SNES, uh, and possibly in the arcade as well. But of those three, Tim has for sure put the most hours into this. I actually didn't encounter like the the, the crab way of holding a pad to do a fighting game until I was a university student working at GameStation. And my friend Wilf was a, a big, big Street Fighter player. We used to have um, a weekly challenges where you could come into the shop and challenge Wilf at Street Fighter 2 on the SNES. And if you beat him, you got £5 off whatever you were purchasing that day. And he very rarely lost because Wilf was really, really good at Street Fighter 2. And he was the one who introduced me to uh, the, the crab way of playing. My my ability to pull off moves and my ability to kind of chain together combos, once I had that technique mastered, my skill at Street Fighter and indeed fighting games in general just went up. It's great. And it's lovely to see it being applied to a pad at this stage. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like 1993 and it's being applied here. That's what I absolutely loved to see. We are crab people, Luke. We are crab people. <laughs> But speaking to our four competitors, Dex, first of all, immediately zooms in on Tim, who says, yes, this is a book. It's an atlas. It's to hold my controller on. He turns to Carl, who hasn't brought anything or done any preparation. He's just going to use his skill. That's it. He doesn't need a book. He doesn't need an atlas. He's brought skill to the table. Books are for people that learn. <laughs> I've just got skill. Let's see how you fare with that skill, Carl. <laughs> Ramon, confident, guess so. And Pooja, well, she's a bit nervous, but Dex says, don't you worry, you'll bash them up. He briefly shadow boxes and she jumps away from him. <laughs> I felt I like so it. bad for her. I know. I mean, I felt bad for Ramon as well because he was like, I mean, you said that Pooja was nervous and she is, but man, Ramon is so nervous in this. Like when he just goes like, uh, I guess so, yeah. Like he can almost like, he almost like shies away from Dex. He's dead, dead nervous. Now, to backseat produce something that, that is getting on for 28 years old. Mm -hmm. If I saw these four practicing and playing in the green room, I'd be going, okay, Tim, you're with Ramon. Carl, you're with Pooja. Yeah. And that's the semi. That's the semi-final that you go with because you know what? You can read the writing on the wall. You know the final is going to be Tim versus Carl. Who are the best players of, of the four. But no, he divides them up into the groups that they're in, which is Tim versus Carl and Ramon versus Pooja. And Tim versus Carlo up first, and it's easily the best bout we're getting 
in this entire show. So, for this super beat em up special, we've got Frank O'Connor of Total Magazine. Oh, yeah. How you doing? All right. Not bad. Now, we've all heard of Street Fighter 2, but this one's the Turbo Edition. Now, does that make it different from the normal game we've seen? Well, the main difference is that this is much faster, but you also have control over the four boss characters, which previously you didn't. So it makes the whole game a lot bigger, a lot faster, and a lot more interesting. All right, good stuff. So Carl has picked M. Bison, which is, that is a pro's choice, because that is someone who is putting hours in, most likely, like, you know, playing Street Fighter 2 Turbo down at the arcade, if you want to get some Bison playing in, because up until this point, it has been in the homes at all at this point. Whereas Carl has picked Ryu, which is a very, very sensible choice. If I was to be put in a sort of tournament scenario, yeah, I'd probably pick Ryu as well. Because the one time that I've played Street Fighter 2 publicly was at a, uh, an event that was put on by, a, a thing, I think they were called Joypad, but they were doing interactive movie experiences. They were showing video game movies. And then at certain points, they would stop the movie and play a bit of the game if it sort of tied into something. And I went to an event they did of Street Fighter the movie where every time a fight start, they would pause it, flick it over to a SNES, and that fight would be set up and ready to go. And I got up confident as all get out because Bison is my guy and I bloody love playing as Bison. And I got my ass handed to me because in a tournament, in a public tournament scenario, don't play as Bison. Pick someone who is much safer and guarantee yourself the win. See, I would never pick Bison for anything because genuinely i think bison's a cheap character <gasps> although we're saying bison m bison realistically vega or to avoid the various international name changes he's just known as dictator and the reason why that name change we'll talk about in the next bout because that's when it becomes relevant but these lads are ready and these lads kick off and woomph this first round is one-sided as f- it's the most oh, one-sided yeah. fighting game we've had on Games Master up until this point. Yeah, because Tim knows how to play Bison. As soon as it says fight, boom, Psycho Crusher, because he's already started the charge. He's sliding, he knows the foot stomps, he's throwing those Psycho Crushers along. He knows combos for Bison. He's really good at this. And I don't think Carl saw it coming because he gets his ass handed to him. Going into that second bout, he knows the Psycho Crusher is coming, so he does block it. But it's just, it's not enough. He does way better in the second round, but it is not enough. Makes a bit of a comeback, but Tim walks it. Tim is so good at this game, the crowd boos him because it was too one-sided. Now, one thing that's worth mentioning about round one, he didn't just win it easily. He didn't just win it in under 17 seconds. It was perfect. 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 And on to the second round, but it wasn't. When you watch this, we get the first round, and the little V sign appears next to Dictator. Mm -hmm. We then cut to round two, and suddenly there's one V sign apiece on each side. So this is actually round three. I didn't spot that. Spoilers, this happens in the next fight as well. And when I saw it in the next fight, I went, hang on, did that happen in the first fight as well? And bugger me, it did. No way. That's crazy. Although, I'll be honest, Given the runtime of the episode, and they do actually fit a lot into this episode, if the second round was kind of so-so, even if Carl won it, eh, it tells a better story to cut that second round out and just Tim monster through it. Yeah, really, really does. Because like I, yeah, I didn't give Carl much credit for it. Then I've just gone back to review the footage, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, this definitely did go three rounds. Both of them did. It was also in the case of this one not the first take, because at the beginning, when it comes up with round one, it says it says the fight number. 
because, of course, in versus mode, you can just kind of keep looping through and it builds up the win-loss draw column. And yeah, it says this is fight three. Mm-hmm. Editing malarkey. <laughs> Think you can sneak this past us, a 28-year-old show? We've got your number. The joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Editing aside, f***ing hell, this was a fun fight. Obviously, Street Fighter 2 Turbo is a faster game, but it is incredible to see how much faster it is when you think about Street Fighter 2 that we saw in episode 1 of series 2. It's lightning, man. It's so, so fast. And these kids are so much better at the game now that it makes for a, a heck of a fun fight. And they cut to Carl and Tim at the end of this fight. Tim is very happy. Carl is murderous. He is yeah. not happy because you know what? Amongst his friends, he's probably got bragging rights for Street Fighter. Even if they're good, yeah. he's probably better. And he got his ass handed to him in this. Yeah, playing as Ryu as well. At this point in Street Fighter gaming, you shouldn't, as a good player, lose a perfect quite that easily. That was that was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. I honestly think he got caught by surprise. I really do, particularly because Tim throws out that Psycho Crusher right off the bat. I just think it startled him and it just took him aback and he just, he didn't recover. But yeah, it losing a perfect on TV, that must have sucked going back to your mates. We've got Ramon and Pooja up next, who sound so bored when it throws it, because you've got Dex going like, right, are you two ready? Yeah. yeah. Start fighting then. It's such a lovely juxtaposition between the very loud and animated Dexter Fletcher and Kevin the Teenager. These are season one kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but for this one, Ramon is Blanca and Pooja has chosen Balrog, a.k.a. M. Bison, because Mike yes. Tyson, M. Bison, and to avoid the international naming difficulties known in the community as Boxer. Smart. Obviously based on Mike Tyson, as soon as Street Fighter left Japan, lawyers were like, yo, <laughs> We got to change this. And so that's what led to the dance of the names because Sagat had to stay Sagat because Sagat was Sagat in Street Fighter. Yes. And so everyone changed name because originally you had M. Bison, Balrog with the claws, Sagat, and then Vega, the dictator. And now suddenly you had Balrog, Vega, Sagat, M. Bison. And the crazy thing is, Apart from M. Bison and the boxer obviously being Mike Tyson, I think Vega is a better name for Claws than Balrog. Oh, 100%. Like, when I discovered later on in life that the names had been changed around, I couldn't put it together because I looked at it and I was like, of course this guy's called Vega. Look at him. He looks like a Vega. And even Balrog makes sense because Balrog, mythological creature, big, fiery asshole. Exactly. Big punchy dude yeah and m bison it does kind of sound like a bond villain name that's it always made sense to me it always made sense i think i said this back in our episode one review of series two when they did the street fighter 2 challenge balrog is a tough choice because you are not so much limited in what you can do but he is less versatile than a lot of the characters. And I think unless you are really, really good with Balrog, he is a tough, tough choice. And I was kind of surprised that Pooja had picked Balrog. I'll be honest with you, that says to me it's a, it's a bit of an experience. 
or she was being coached and they put her. Because the thing is, hit for hit, Balrog is the strongest character in the game. If you're playing Balrog, you better like punches because that's what you've got. Six punches. You have three straight and three uppercuts. That's your moves. You can jump, but it ain't worth much because he's a boxer. He doesn't have air-based attack. Poor Pooja is just absolutely out of her element here. Blanca is launching cannonballs. Doesn't go the electricity route. Doesn't try it. No. But he's good at the cannonballs. He's using those kicks because some of Blanca's kicks are super effective. Yeah. And he takes the first round. He takes it pretty damn easily. Now we move on to the second round. And mm-hmm. second in Bucky O'Hare is because, again, this is the third round. And Pooja does draw first blood in this, but it doesn't last long because bish, bish, bish. She gets backed into the corner and just cannot get out of it. Through, uh, sometimes of her own volition, she just refuses to get out of the corner. But once she is stuck in that corner, man, she's done for. The worst thing you can do in Street Fighter 2 is back yourself into a corner. And it can get very, very easy to get boxed in. Exactly. No pun intended with Balrog. No, all puns intended. <laughs> Ramon, well done. You walked away with it. Was it hard? Nah. It wasn't. Easy. It was easy. Yeah. Well, she's smaller than you, isn't she? Mm, I'm much older as well. Yeah, you, did you give her a chance? Yeah. Oh, that was a good idea. <laughs> was it a tough battle? Quite. Quite a tough battle. Okay, then, good stuff. Now, Tim. You had the book, obviously, it was your secret weapon. It certainly was, but of course, tough stuff. Yes, it was tough stuff. Exciting. Yep. Carl, you pushed him to the limit, my man. I tried. What went wrong? I don't know. He knew all the moves, so did he, I. He was just a better bloke. He was just a better player, see? What a generous man. Cocky old Ramon, though, sort of about like, no, nah, it wasn't that hard, really. It was easy. Oh, mate, give her a break. You're way older than her for starters. Yeah, Dex does point out that she's smaller, which if they were fighting, might have actually meant something. <laughs> I like Tim lying, those being like, yeah, no, it was a tough challenge. I was like, bull, lad, you absolutely walked it. But I love Kyle, you know, and I always appreciate this on Games Master, when you aren't the Akbars of the world, where it's the like, although I lost, I'm going to act like I won. Kyle is like, we both played well, but he was the better player. We both know how to do the moves. He was just better on the day. Good man, Carl. Good man. Yep. And it gives us Tim versus Ramon for the final. Not the worst final we could have had, but certainly not the best. They missed a trick on this one. You've lost your memory and you're alone on an alien planet. In flashback, use your wits and weapons over seven worlds to remember the secret that could save the Earth. Flashback is a perfect example of how good games really can look on the, on the console. Um, the animation is superb. In terms of graphics, it's really, really good. The backdrops, the detail, the animation on the character is probably the most lifelike you're going to get. Basically, it's a thinking game more than an action game. Rather than running around shooting the baddies, you've actually got to think about what you're doing. Pick up the right thing, take it to the right location, solve puzzles. It's good fun and it's different. We had the Amiga version reviewed back in episode 9 of series 2, where it got 94%, uh, but this SNES version, 86%. I don't know what might the differences be, but unless it is a case of... Do you remember like when they did this back in series 2, on that same episode actually, when they reviewed Another World, and they said that because they played the Amiga version, they just knew how to play the console version and knew how to solve all the puzzles. So I just wondered, do you think that's the same thing that happened here? Is that, well, I've played Flashback on the Amiga. I know how to do the whole thing. So I can kind of just cakewalk this one. That could be entirely possible. Also, to be fair, different review team. That's one of the joys of Games Master is it is potluck for which reviewers review which games and what their platform preferences, what their game style preferences are. But... The first platform I played this on was the Super Nintendo, 
So this version for me was for a long time the definitive version. In the eyes of the developer, Paul Cassiette, he actually told Retro Gamer magazine that in his mind, the Mega Drive is the definitive version because the game was created for that platform. Uh-huh. That was the platform it was meant for. So that was a platform that was a definitive version. And speaking of Sega, there were multiple ports of this. It appeared on many different platforms. It was also on the PC CD-ROM, the 3DO, even the Philips CDI. But the Mega CD version upgraded a few things. Rather than in-game animation, the video sequences were fully rendered full motion video and there was voice acting. That's a big step up and moving towards not interactive movies, but enhancing games with video sequences, something that will become much more commonplace in the PlayStation era. Yeah, totally. Also, there was a version of this developed for the Jaguar. And guess what, Luke? Oh, God. <laughs> it didn't come out. Oh, no, it did come out. But it was rubbish. No, it was fine. It was just uh, it didn't get any of the advantages of the Mega CD. It just had the original cutscenes and slightly different music because slightly different hardware. But no, there is an Atari Jaguar version that actually came out and wasn't shit. going to say, I was fully expecting it to go either one or two ways. Very rare that you find a Jaguar game that ends up being good. But Dave Perry is up first and says that Flashback is an example of how good games can look on the console, praises the animation. Steve Merritt also praises the graphics, both the backgrounds and the character animations, and the Jazzman is amazingly upbeat about this game because he says it's a thinking game more than an action game. You've got to solve puzzles. It's good fun and it's different. That is the most positive I've heard Jazz Rignall be about anything ever. Well, that's because it's not... Like, Jazz hates platform games. That's, that's quite clear that we've seen throughout the run of Games Master. The Jazzman hates a platforming game. We actually see that in the very next review we're about to get. So the fact that it is a platforming puzzle game is going to level it up in the jazz man's views. Is this like hiding medication in dog food? Like if you wrap <laughs> yeah. it in bacon, the dog will eat it. And essentially, yeah, exactly. this is a platform game wrapped in a puzzler. Therefore, Jazz Rignall will happily tap away at it. Sonic and his missus have arrived on CD. With loads more obstacles and brand new bonus stages to complete, is Sonic still Sega's ultimate hero? Here comes Sega's great blue hope in the form of Sonic CD. After an absolutely fantastic manga-style intro where Sonic runs across these mountains from familiar territory as Sonic enters a platform zone. And this is a bit of a problem. The game's bigger, the graphics are nicer, the sound obviously is better. But it's the same old stuff, uh, same old platform, same old jumping. The only thing you've got to look forward to is a Mario Kart rip-off driving section. I mean, 0 out of 10 for originality, Sega. Well, up next, this may be a bit of a contentious one. It's Sonic CD on the Mega CD. And if you'll recall my rant I had about Sonic Mania way, way, way back when, when I was talking about those bonus stages, <gasps> those bonus stages, I hate them so much. You get to see some of them in the little video here. But this is not a positive review of a game that was very well regarded when it came out pretty much across the board apart from these three lads here on Games Master. Steve calling him uh, Sega's great blue hope that the anime intro is really, really cool, but the platform zone is really, really boring. And Jazz saying that, yeah, it's bigger and it's nicer to look at, but 
it's the same old stuff. And then Dave Perry saying the only thing to look forward to about the game is those fucking bonus stages. Zero out of 10 for originality, 78% for Sonic CD. The Games Master hatred of Sonic continues. Now, let's be fair, it's not the Games Master hatred of Sonic, it's the Games Master hatred of Sonic sequels. <laughs> yeah, they like the first one. Who doesn't? But the sequel to Sonic, Sonic 2, has a hefty impact on Sonic CD because originally this game was conceived as a port of Sonic 2 for the Mega CD, but jazzed up a bit, not giving it a mullet, just enhancing it. Mm-hmm. However, Sonic 2 performed poorly in Japan and... That caused alarm bells to start to ring at Sega HQ. And the Sonic team kind of had a different way that they wanted to take it. Now, officially, this does not exist in the Sonic and Sonic 2 timeline. Although a lot of fans will put it between Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. It's kind of an in-between. But the poor sales of Sonic 2 allowed them to go back, start again, and do something that actually ended up being quite different because... You've got time travel. You do have Mario Kart-style 3D bonus stages. You've got a CD-quality soundtrack. And you've got new characters, including Sonic's girlfriend, Amy. Yes, Amy Rose. And that beautiful anime intro as well. Oh, it's such a great anime intro. And any version of Sonic CD you get out there, that's been restored beautifully. It looks great. But not only does it see the debut of Amy Rose, it's also the debut of Metal Sonic or Metallics, uh, as he was called in Sonic the Comic. The time travel aspect did complicate matters because it means that they weren't just designing each stage once. They had to design four different versions of each stage to represent each time period. And you flip back and forth between them. You travel through time to make sure that your parents get together and go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and therefore you don't disappear from existence. And I'm saying that as a joke, but also because Back to the Future has been cited as an influence on this game, which I f***ing love. Well, we talked about this with back in Sonic 2 as well, that the, the time travel elements for this were originally going to be part of Sonic 2, but then they you know, got ported across to Sonic CD instead. But there's a lot in Sonic CD that is very, very interesting, sort of like from a, a Sonic history point of view. Uh, as it was pointed out fairly recently by Bad Nick Mechanic, one of the traits of Sonic that got lost along the way is that when Sonic is in danger, he sneezes. And the sneeze is supposed to signify to you as a player that danger is incoming. It was meant to be it was planned for the first game. It was planned for any of the sequels. It got scrapped and it got forgotten about. But it does appear in the anime intro. When he's bouncing off all of the rocks and stuff, there's a rock coming towards him and he sneezes. And that is his alert to get out of the way. There's a fascinating video about this that Badly Mechanic has done where he has found all of the various bits of Sonic merchandise that's got released with this sneezing bit added to it. It's it's really, really cool. It strikes me as an utterly bizarre mechanic. It's like Spider-Sense, but with hay fever. Exactly, yeah. Now, this probably had one of the more convoluted stories of a Sonic game because of the time travel element, but it was so convoluted, it got adapted into a comic twice. Yeah. It got adapted into a comic by Archie Comics in America, and then over here, Sonic the Comic UK... Hey, that sounds like a great idea for a podcast, Luke. I believe it does. They did their own adaptation of Sonic CD, 
the Sonic the Comic version is just it's Sonic versus Metal Sonic. It's versus Metallic. They don't really go into much of the time travel elements to it. Um, it when they do Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles, that's when they go really more like this is a direct adaptation of the game. The Sonic versus Metallic stuff that's in Sonic the Comic is brilliant. It's so, so great. Way better than the Archie stuff because the Archie comics are shit. And I can say that because we don't have any American listeners who get really knocked off that you say that the Archie comics are a bit shit. And to the American listeners that we do have, including those Patreon backers, I do not necessarily agree with Luke's <laughs> opinions on the matter. But anyway, back to this review. These bloody miserable pricks here. I This is guaranteed this is they had five minutes to play the game. We talked about this when we've had Dan on the show that, you know, the way that the reviews were tend to have done was you got to play the game for a little bit and you sat in the booth and you got to talk about it. Because I don't think if anyone has spent any time with this, the one thing you're saying is that it's the same game that you've played two times over in Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. Because as you pointed out, there's a lot of variation to it. The various level designs, the various ways that the game is then played and then plays out. But to sit there and just be like, yeah, it's a platforming game, it is all the same thing. Because the critics that got to spend time with the game and talk about it more, loved it. Electronic Gaming said it called it a must-have. Sega Pro said it was brilliant. It managed it, worth more than the price. Destructoids called it a hallmark of excellence. Quote, to miss Sonic CD would be to miss some of the franchise's best. People bloody loved this game, apart from f***ing Jazz Rignall because he hates platforming games. I mean, all those are very compelling points, Luke, but we're not reviewing those magazines. We're reviewing Games Master, <laughs> and they gave it 78%, and I'm afraid you're just going to have to live with that. I know, these bloody miserable pricks. Comic hero Captain America is here to thwart the plans of Red Skull. Use your special weapon to defeat the bad guys, destroy the death ray, and complete your quest. This unimaginative horizontally scrolling beat-em-up sees you choosing one of four superheroes who, quite honestly, should be worrying about saving this car rather than saving the world. What you've got here is a total waste of a license. Poor graphics, poor gameplay. The action is this junk kick, double dragon variety. I really hate this, this is 45 quid that you really ought to spend elsewhere, and Mindscape really should be ashamed. The Avengers! Oof, and it's a rough review to wend on here. It's Captain America and the Avengers. Mr. Perry calling it unimaginative. Jazz calling it a waste of a license. Steve Merritt didn't like it either. 43%. Ash, I bloody love Captain America and the Avengers. I think it's a great little game. On the SNES specifically? On on the Mega Drive. Back in the day, there was a little computer shop down uh, the road from my house uh, called Virtual Games. And I picked up a copy of Captain America and the Avengers. It was actually the budget release they did of it. Like the Mega Drive re-released a lot of old games. The packaging was weird because it looked like it was behind crate paper. It was sort of like like brown packaging. It was sort of like it had been ripped oh, open. You could sort of see the, yeah. You could kind of see the box art underneath it. That was my first experience of playing this game. You know, because I just wanted to play uh, a, a game which had comic book characters in it, and, and I, I I loved it. I me and my friend poured some hours into this game it doesn't hold up it's not a particularly great game it's clunky as fuck, i'll say you that much but i've got so many nostalgic memories of this particularly because the voice work in it on the mega drive is it sounds like it's been done by zoidberg and we were futurama kids so we found that very funny that it was like the Avengers! The Avengers! Avengers Assemble! You can't escape! You will be the one escaping! You will be the one escaping! <laughs> exactly. The YouTube channel I work for, for a brief period of time, 
had a uh, video game channel that we tried to launch that was also a movie channel completely didn't work uh turns out the audience that we thought we had weren't interested in us doing that but one of the videos that i really pitched for and eventually got made was when avengers endgame came out we reviewed avengers endgame while playing captain america and the avengers on the mega drive we got up to ultron but didn't make it much further hate these things they hug and like drain your health and then just die this is why i don't like physical human contact <laughs> look at me with my big old box oh i want a box, ah! a box. let's go kill him with the fax machine box oh, oh we missed <laughs> he was quite a ways away box oh i'm throwing the shield oh the my wrong God. way oh, look what? at these guys in their little get my ass kicked Weedy oh bins. come on cap get up mate i could do this oh. all day turned up to the oh I want to there he is. Oh, here juggernaut. he is. Armadillo man. He didn't, the, he didn't think we could see him then. I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Are we sure this is juggernaut? I think it's meant to be juggernaut. I'll be honest. It may not be juggernaut. It's just until I've always said it was since I was a kid. I was like, oh, I'm fighting juggernaut. I don't think that's juggernaut. Oh, no, I'm down on one health. Down on one health. No. 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 Oh, I'm on my last life. Blam. Blam. Got him. Thank God you just resurrected and just went whip. Punch down these walls. Break the like walls women in down. the MCU, just knocking down walls. Right, I'm down to my last life. I don't think it's impossible. I'm just very bad. No, you got two more lives. Get down oh, to yeah. zero. But I very much enjoyed playing the game, and it was it was at that point then playing it. I was like. Oof, yeah, this game is pretty rough. It's it's very rough around the edges. It's very jerky. Well, I can provide you with some respite because this was an arcade game adapted for the home. It was originally released by Data East in 1991 and features the Avengers and they're fighting the Red Skull. Now, there were various home releases and the version that you played was released by Data East who co-developed it with Opera House for the Sega Genesis, which was also then released overseas for the Mega Drive. However, the game was licensed to Mindscape, who got developers real-time associates to make the version for the Super NES, the Game Boy, and the Game Gear. So the version you played, while maybe rough as arseholes now, was probably better than this, because even just watching this game on a screen, it looks dog shit. And there were a oh, lot yeah. of dog shit Marvel games out for the SNES. X-Men and Spider-Man, Arcade Revenge or whatever it was. God, I hated that game. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think I'm remembering this correctly, this arcade game does have a cultural impact on a film that you like. Because the arcade version can be seen in the background of the 1994 comedy Airheads. That's right, it is. It's the arcade game that they get. There you go. So, a positive note to end this on. And that's good, because guess what, Luke? We got a weird feature. Fed up with those boring household chores? Yes, you. Does breakfast time drive you to distraction? Does running around after those appliances drag you down? It's time for some help. So let IDA Home Automation bring you into the space age. The IDA box comes complete with four special adapter plugs and a handy remote controller. Simply plug your household appliances into the adapters and put those into your sockets. Then put your feet up and use the controller to bring your house under control. Easy as ABC, but how about something for the more advanced domestic engineer? 
Have another look in the IDA box and you'll find a computer disk. Slip this into your PC and the easy to use system allows you to program up to 256 household appliances through the adapter plugs, turning them on and off using a special timer device and the remote radio transmission. Plug the controller into the back of your PC, set up your appliances on screen and you can make toast pop up at 7.15. Perk your coffee at 7.20 and your games machine spark at 11s. Amazing? And to think, all this can be yours for the fantastic price of 99.95. Now isn't that worth opening your purse for? But hang on a minute. If IDA can do all this for you now, where's it all going to lead? You might need those machines to do your chores, but what if they suddenly realise they don't need you? Yeah, are you fed up with boring household chores? I mean, we get to see Auntie Marisha, so that's a, that's a benefit to uh, this feature. The IDA that's going to bring your house cleaning into the space. This is Jetson shit, basically. This is marketing itself as home automation, which, spoilers, we're in 2020 now, and guess what? Home automation still ain't working properly. At this point, what they've got is four smart plugs, although you only ever see three of them in the box, but apparently there's four and a remote control. This is not home automation. This is something you can buy very cheaply now, which is a plug with an infrared sensor and button goes on, button goes off. That's what it is. And to be honest, that's actually still pretty useful. It's really nice to have a remote control. And if you've got different lights up places like string lights or decorations, you've just got one remote and you can go click, 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 click. And there is a next generation version of that, which you can control from an app on your phone. And I think even Ikea do their own version and it kind of ties into home hubs and all that various cluster yeah, yeah. Where this gets slightly more interesting is with the computer side of things, which is shown by showing us the floppy disk that apparently comes in the box. And I hope the one that actually comes in the box looks a bit better than a white label stuck over one of the handwriting <laughs> labels. Yeah. I was looking at it going, oh, this is definitely a pre-production product, or at least I hope it is, because man, cover discs have better labels than this at this point. If you install this software on your computer and you have one of these kits, you get access to advanced functions like timer modes and various different patterns and things that you can do. And you can hook up up to 256 household appliances with this software although they don't mention that does mean you'll need 252 extra smart plugs i was thinking about that number of 256 and it got me thinking do i even own 256 appliances now in 2020 when things like this laptop is more commonplace the mixer i have for this microphone the camera that i have got set up here this mobile phone that sometimes needs charging i don't think i do have 256 appliances in this house then again they're also pitching it to auntie m who's responsible for the games academy i mean there's a lot of rooms in the games academy there's going to be a lot of space heaters in that place because it's going to get cold as yeah it's pretty nippy in there yeah so you know you might actually reach the 256 but oh my god it's going to be expensive because the set of four with the remote cost 99 quid now, even if you whack the remote out, so you're maybe going to push the price down to about 60, maybe 75. I've done the calculations on how much the full 252 extra remotes would cost. And do you know what, Luke? It's more than five. Yeah, I was going to say, that'll probably be a fair old whack. That is exactly what the calculator said when I typed in the numbers. <laughs> it went, fair old whack, not worth it, mate. And I realised... I didn't have a calculator. It was just my hand. Right, well, it's time for our celebrity challenge. If you've listened to the last two episodes, you probably know what it is. But let's head on over to Games Master and find out what we're playing. It's the grand finale of my Gladiator's Clay Fighter Challenge. 
I've chosen the two most brutal characters in the game for this bout. Bad Mr. Frosty certainly lives up to his name. Facing him is the deceptively named Tiny, who sports a very effective dropkick. There are only three rounds of all-out warfare between one of our finalists and my coveted golden joystick. So without further ado, let's see some action. Yep, it's the final of our Clay Fighter tournament, our Gladiators Clay Fighter tournament, and this time, Bad Mr. Frosty and Tiny are the characters that have been chosen, which means Shadow and Scorpio are back once again like Renegade Masters after winning their semi-finals to uh, take it on in this final. Now, I don't think I mentioned this last week. Have you noticed that the male gladiators are all wearing bum bags? <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice they were wearing bum bags, no. They're all wearing them, and when I saw it, I thought, why are only the men wearing it? Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to carry like kind of sharpies and whatnot for autographs, or you need somewhere to keep your change, surely female gladiators would need somewhere to keep their change. And then, as Shadow was coming down the steps, I realised why the men are wearing bum bags, and it's because then you can't see their packed lunch. Of course, he's got a yeah, couple yeah, of pasties yeah. now, now and a Greg sense. sausage roll yeah, yeah. down there. And if there's one thing you don't want, is you don't want the kids at home to be exposed to his steak bake. <laughs> the Games Master has chosen a couple of different characters for you to play this week. Have you made decisions what you're going to be? I don't know which one I am. I think I'm tiny. You're tiny, so that must mean you're bad Mr Frosty. Bad Mr Frosty? He's got a big top hat like this. Okay. Big snowman, battles it out. So, how do you fancy your chances? Well, do I have to say, we know. We know the answer to this game. You realise he's ex-Games Master Champion you're playing up against here? Yeah, but he didn't play me. Last year's champion too, I must add. We've said all along in this that Shadow was a games player and I think that he is way more into this than Cobra was last week. With that said, he has no blues clue who he's actually playing as here. Dexter says to him, so which character you picked then? He goes, uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know who I'm playing as. Thankfully, Scorpio knows that she's playing as Tiny. So by process of elimination, that means that Shadow is playing as Frosty. I mean, these guys are here. They're having fun. Scorpio is great. Shadow seems much looser this time round. He's chilled. He's relaxed. He's also got a bit of a swag on because he's remembered he won this the last time round. He's the reigning champion. And he points that out. He's the reigning champion of last year. Indeed, he is. Interesting choice of characters from the Games Master because what we've got is bad Mr. Frosty, who is the strongest puncher, and Tiny, who is the strongest kicker. So essentially, you do have two slabs of, well, not meat, but clay, that should be all about the punching and the kicking. So in theory, should be relatively evenly matched. Right, stay tuned if you want to see the final of the Gladiators battling out on Clay Fighters. Keep it locked, don't go away. <laughs> Unpleasant odour. You have just been invaded by Sega TV. Sirat, we bring you wildlife. This is Megan, start of a new Sega game. Megan, what's it like to be a Mega CD star? Real tough. <laughs> you try dying two thousand times a day. Hey, you! Yeah, you! Billy from Romford! You don't zap her on my show! The weather. The weather is... 
Let's see you can do this move. Commercial break. Sega Mega Drive. Got one? Now you can get Mega CD. Cross click, take the trip. Whoa! It comes with seven games that even plays your music, 3D! Okay, Megan, let's get interactive. <laughs> <laughs> now that's what I call Mega CD. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ragga Heat, Reggae Beat. 21 crucial hits to make you feel good. Ragga Heat, Reggae Beat, the sound of summer. joined us just in time for the grand finale of our gladiator championship we got shadow and scorpio sitting in the hot seats and with me in the commentary box i've got an old hand steve carson how you doing all right i'm not too bad thanks dexter so what do you think we can expect from tonight's final well to be completely honest i felt the semi-finals were very tame indeed so yeah. hopefully hopefully tonight we'll make up for that mm -hmm. we've got the two big boys of the game we've got yeah. bad mr frosty who's the biggest puncher looks and mean we're, we're very mean we've got tiny who's the biggest kicker right. so hopefully we should have a fairly evenly matched contest tonight definitely Dinesh, shadow and scorpio position themselves in the hot seat it's steve carsey in with dex hey steve carsey back once again he found the semi-finals a bit tame did steve he's not wrong <laughs> yeah he's not wrong yeah he's hoping for some big action here he'll be disappointed i mean these two just hammer buttons proper just hammer buttons there's a point in this where scorpio gets dazed and shadow does nothing i think he was attempting a move in the end realized he can't do the move, so he just walks over and kicks her instead, and he wins the first round. They go into the second round, they hammer some buttons, Scorpio wins. They go into the final round, they hammer some buttons, and Shadow wins. This three-part tournament has not been a great reflection on Clay Fighter as a fighting game. And in fact, a lot of the damage done in this fight is bi-directional, because they both jump and do a punch or a kick. They both connect they both take some damage. It's double hits through most all of the round. It, the, the, yeah. There's not really a point where you go, oh, he's got a distinct advantage or she's, she's definitely got the edge here. 
No, they're just both slapping each other at the same time and damage is being taken. So, Scorpio, it was a very close final there at the end. Uh, what went wrong? I honestly don't know, he's, except he's a good player. Yes, well, he's the last series champion, you know. Shadow, champion of the last series, champion of this series. What can I say? Absolutely, what can you say? We get to the end of the challenge and, in a somewhat mediocre fashion, Shadow becomes the first two-time Golden Joystick winner. Because, you know what? Danny Curley didn't get a second one, even though he's won various challenges in Series 2. But he's not a two-time winner. Shadow is. Shadow accepts the praise that's heaped upon him and receives the joystick from the caretaker and may at this point be the only person bigger than the caretaker. Yeah, absolutely. Showing him up here. Hello. I only want questions on beat-em-ups today. Who's always getting sand kicked in their face? Oi, Games Master. I'm terrible at Mortal Kombat on the Mega Drive. Can you help? No, not at the moment. Next. So, of course, it's a beat-em-up special. Games Master only wants questions on beat-em-ups. Uh, Oi, Games Master. Turns out this lad shows up doing his best Dexter Fletcher. He's a bit rude, and Games Master pretty much says as much when he tells him, no, you can't have hints on Mortal Kombat. Yeah, basically, sling your hook. I don't want to give you help. Also, that's gimmick infringement. Stop it or Dex's <laughs> lawyers will be on to you. I've beaten everybody on Muhammad Ali's boxing on the Mega Drive. Is there anybody else I can thrash? Well, I do know of a secret boxer hidden in there. When you're in tournament mode, enter the password H zero seven triple zero seven Z. You will now play as Muhammad Ali against the very difficult Ali Muhammad. As you will undoubtedly find out, your opponent's victory stream is rather amusing. Thanks, bye Games Master. Up next is someone who's a bit cocky in their own way because they've defeated everyone in Muhammad Ali's boxing on the Mega Drive and wants to know if there's anyone else she can trash. Thankfully, the Games Master knows of a secret box and hidden in there. In tournament mode, you enter the password H070007Z, so hot oots. Mm -hmm. But you now get the opportunity to play as Muhammad Ali versus Ali Muhammad. Which is a fun little secret character, really. And apparently, but I mean, looking at this, Ali Muhammad is nails. Yeah, as Games Master says, you'll undoubtedly find out your opponent's victory screen is rather amusing. Amusing apparently means having his head replaced with a small man. Hey, dude, it's it's probably funny to someone. Well, it's funny to the Games Master, and it appears to be funny to the person asking because she giggles as she departs. <laughs> Given what we now know about the recording process, <laughs> knows what she was laughing at. Let me see. Who's next? Oh, Games Master, please. No, no, be patient. Anyone else? <laughs> no. Can I control the bosses? I'm tough enough for this nest. As a matter of fact, you can. On the select mode screen, press left three times, right three times, then left seven times. Start the game. If the code has worked, you'll hear an explosion. You will now be able to choose any of the bosses along with their special moves. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Which is a game I've played, and it's okay? Yeah. It, it looks like it would be okay. It only actually has four playable characters without the cheat to unlock the bosses. One other thing is Tough Enough, that is a very 90s name. And I do actually prefer the Japanese name for this game, because in Japan, this game is called Dead Dance. Oh, that is good. But Japanese or otherwise, this game has ties to England, because the box artwork in Japan is actually artwork that was created 
for Computer and Video Games magazine here in the UK. When they did a feature on it, there was no promotional artwork available, so they got some made. Angelico saw it and went, that's really cool, can we use it? And so they licensed <laughs> the artwork from C&VG to be used as the box art for Dead Dance slash Tough Enough, although Jellico USA decided to use their own box art, which in turn is considered to be one of the worst designs for a video game of all time. Hey man, that just screams Jellico to me. Who's lost? Mortal Kombat. Please, please help me. Well, I wasn't going to, but as you're obviously so desperate, here goes. On the scrolling head screen, press the following sequence. Down, up, left, left, button A, right and down. That spells Dullard. This gives you a cheat menu full of flags to change. For example, switch flag O on and one punch will kill your opponent. Experiment with the others for more strange effects. I hope you're satisfied. Oh, that's excellent, Games Master. Thanks. The first lad is back, finally gets some advice from the Games Master, and it's the Dullard cheat code. So you can get the defrag menu up, which I had a lot of fun with when I, when I found out about Dullard. Man, you can spend hours using that defrag code. And Dullard is another code that I'm amazed hasn't turned into a character <laughs> in a later iteration. Or if they don't want to call a character Dullard, reverse it and call him Drallard or something. <laughs> but the one flag that Games Master gives a hint on is he's like, if you enable flag zero, you get one hit kills. And from your desperation, you probably need that, your mortal wombat. But that is enough kicking and fighting in the consultation zone. Let's have more kicking and fighting in our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? To round off this beat-em-up special, I've chosen an awesome combat game, after fighting on the Neo Geo. Our two finalists have a vast array of moves at their disposal, and I expect to see a good, clean fight. Mark my words, the survivor of three rounds of action on this game will be a worthy champion. Oh, this is a bit of a big one. The art of fighting on the Neo Geo. I agree with you that these two should have been swapped around. Like, this should have been the opening fight. We should have had Street Fighter here, because Street Fighter 2 is the big, you know, it's the, it's the game of the moment. It's what everyone's playing that is in Mortal Kombat. But there's something about these SNK games, when they get put up onto the Neo Geo, that do feel special and almost, you know, deserving of being in the main event. And in the case of this game, this game actually serves a very important purpose in the SNK canon because the Art of Fighting series are technically a prequel to the Fatal Fury series because these games, particularly this game, is set in the late 1970s. And so the characters in this game either appear older or their offspring appear in the Fatal Fury games. So it all kind of connects, and I'll be honest, at a time when we're still getting journalists that think Cammy is Guile's daughter, <laughs> I appreciate that someone was doing some crazy-ass universe building and going, let's do retro before retro is a yeah, thing. absolutely it is. Art of fighting. Well, you, you two must have played this before. Of course. Of course? Yeah. Played it before? Have you chosen your characters? Yeah, I chose Jack because he's the biggest and strongest. Biggest and strongest Jack? And I chose Lee because he's deadly and the fastest. Yes, go there. Good moves. All right, then. Well, if you two want to take up your positions, we can start your challenge off. Amazingly, and I think this is bullshit, both kids claim to have played this game before. Absolute bollocks, have they? Absolute bollocks have they played this game. I mean, they may have played it in an arcade or if they have a mock fair, but this is not a game that they have at home, not like Street Fighter 2. They've probably played it in the green room 
at the least. But these two do not play this game like a couple of people who know this game would play this game. I mean, Tim's confident he's still got his book. But Ramon is confident too. You know, he put on a good performance. Tim has picked Jack. Ramon has picked Lee. I would wager that those characters have probably been suggested to them by the team to be like, I would pick these characters if I were you uh, to put forward. But yeah, I uh, I would wager that the first time they've got their hands on this game was in the green room on the day of filming. With me in the commentary box, I have Frank O'Connor again. Pleased to see you. How you doing? Pleased Not to bad. see you too. Now, Art of Fighting, one of my favourite games. What do you reckon? It's a lovely game, colourful, noisy, violent, everything you need, really. Bashing them up. Okay, and what about the energy bars? It's a bit different on this There's game. There's two energy bars. One yeah. shows how much actual power you have left, and when it gets to zero, you're knocked down. Yeah. Another one shows you how much magic ability you've got. Well, ready or not, they assume their position and Frank O'Connor is back in the box with Dex, who claims that Art of Fighting is one of his favourite games. Yeah, speaking of bullshit, oh. uh, Dex, <laughs> Dex claiming this is one of his favourite games. Absolute bollocks, lad. It could be one of his favourite games he's played thus far while making the show. You don't know that. <laughs> it was his favourite game he played that day. That's still a valid opinion, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> but Frank also points out some of the additional differences this game has. Not that they'll matter in the bout we're about to see, but you have two bars. You have a health bar, which as it decreases, you get closer to death, but you also have a magic bar, which dictates how many special moves you can do. It would have been lovely to have seen that come into play, but spoilers, we don't. They both attempt special moves early on. They don't land on any. So then they just start smashing the buttons together. Tim wins the first round. It's fairly back and forth, but it, there's no real sort of gaining of advantage either way. But Tim realizes going into that second round that his flying kick will not fail him. So he just keeps doing that flying kick. He does. And he wins that second round. Although you say second round. Uh-huh. Guess what, Luke? More malarkey, it's another second round eliminated, and we jump straight to the third round. Although in the case of this fight, I can entirely understand why, because nothing of note can have happened in that second round. Think you can sneak that past us, 28-year-old show? <laughs> we've got the better of you, mate. Makes up for all the other shit that we've missed and been told we missed over the past year. <laughs> Ramon, what happened? It all went wrong. You lost. Couldn't do the moves. Special moves. You couldn't do the special moves? Well, if you come on the Games Master Academy, you've got to know your special moves, especially if you're going to be in a beat-em-up special. So what about you? You knew your special moves, Tim. No, not really. I've never played Jack before. You've never played Jack before? I can't believe that. You bear an uncanny resemblance to him. Oh, cheers. It must have been your magic book. Yeah, it certainly was. Post-match, Ramon blames his loss on his inability to do the special moves, which Dex rinses him for, saying if you're going to come to the Games Master Academy on a fighting game special, you've got to know your special moves. I mean, he's right, Luke. What other point is there? And I'm sure Tim knew all the special moves, except he didn't. But Tim had one advantage over Ramon. He had a magic book. He had an atlas. It's the first time I've seen anyone put an atlas to good use in a long, long time, because we've all got Google Maps now. You can't balance your joypad on a phone. I was going to say, it was actually quite a thrill to see an atlas, an actual physical atlas. I haven't seen an atlas probably since 1993. I have to Google what an atlas is now. I can't remember. <laughs> and Dex says that he's very surprised that Tim wasn't familiar with the character because he looks like him. And this is something they said on commentary a couple of times, and I wasn't a fan of it because basically they were going, he's fat, the character's fat. 
Yeah, I was trying to like work out whether they were saying, I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, I'll be honest with you, because Tim is also a very tall lad and the character of Jack is also very tall. So I thought that's what they might be talking about because Ramon's a bit shorter and the character of Lee was a bit shorter. But really, this is a bit of Captain Dynamo, not quite Captain Dynamo levels, but they were basically being like, you're a big lad. He's a big lad. You're probably the same person, I'd wager. I feel bad for him because I'm just like, mm. that That was that wasn't necessary, guys. No, it's not necessary. But regardless, necessary or not, he still gets the Games Master Golden Joystick. And not only does he receive it from the caretaker, but when he gets it, he goes the full Wimbledon and gives it a smooch and holds it aloft. <laughs> he proper celebrates, and I love that. He deserves that, if not for that final challenge, but for his performance in the opening challenge. He was a winner at that point onwards, in my eyes. Completely agree. Tim was the best player on the day. I, I like, And it wasn't even a close competition. He was just by far the best player of the four. Well, we've come to the end of tonight's beat-em-up special. I'll leave you with the words of martial arts supremo Jean-Claude Van Damme. Ich bin ein Berliner. Auf Wiedersehen, baby. Jean-Claude Van Damme, quite famously from Brussels. But that is the quote which apparently was it Kennedy said, and it actually the way he pronounced it means that he's a donut. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he is a bit of a donut, and by that, it means he likes a powdered coating. <laughs> and we're allowed to say that because uh, Stephen D'Souza told me about it in an interview, uh, and he was allowed to talk about it because Jean-Claude Van Damme's cop to it in various interviews that he spent the entirety of the Street Fighter movie high off his tits and was just operating on, on his own schedule. That's going to do it for episode five of series three. I'm going to spin it round. Ash, what did you make of it? Well, you know what? I figured you'd get one in before me this week because I've managed to spin it around on you for the last couple. Just try and mix it up a bit. But despite me not being entirely on board with Art of Fighting and despite Clay Fighters being Clay Fighters, I actually had a really good time with this episode. That Street Fighter challenge at the beginning, that opening bout of Tim versus Carl was the best one-on-one -on -one fighting we've had in Games Master up until this point. It was exciting. And moving on from the challenge, the review zone. Well, yes, Sonic CD controversial. We got flashback, we did get Sonic CD, and we got an absolute Drek game, which is always fun to see, <laughs> because it's really funny to see a video game journalist go, you should be ashamed of yourself, game publisher. <laughs> we got to see Auntie Marisha, which... I know the pieces on modern technology don't always work the best, but this one was irreverent enough. I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was kind yeah. of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I got a bit of a kick out of it, to be honest. Having a two-time Games Master champion crowned two golden joysticks, one for each side of the mantelpiece, that was a great moment. Scorpio was brilliant in it. She was lovely. Shadow was there, resplendent in his crotch-disguising bum bag. <laughs> Consultation Zone had some shenanigans. They were fun with the yeah. uh, Mortal Wombat guy going through it. And then on to this final challenge, which was not the masterclass we would be hoping for. But it was still a final and the kid deserved the joystick at the end of it. This is not a 90% episode for me, but it's a, it's solidly in the 80s. This is an 85. I had the exact same score of 85% because I bloody loved that Street Fighter 2 Turbo Challenge that kicked things off. I really enjoyed Shadow uh, becoming a two-time champion. As I said, like the, the, the fight itself was just button mashing to the extreme. But that is more on Clay Fighter than it is on the fighters taking part in it. But what a great review zone, man. Flashback and Sonic CD, 
Captain America and the Avengers. The Avengers. I got a massive kick out seeing all three of those games, even with those miserable pricks damning Sonic CD for being more of the same. I mean, really, the only thing that let me down on this episode was in a way the consultation zone because muhammad ali's fighting isn't a particularly great like when you you set up i want just fighting game questions it's they didn't have particularly great fighting games in there with the exception of mortal kombat but the the sort of shenanigans around that mortal kombat uh the dullard thing kind of elevated the consultation zone and made it a lot of fun and the final fight was what it was it's fun to see snk games it's always great to see neo Geo games particularly because it got that crash zoom effect uh throughout the fight which is really really nice and it kind of varies things up a bit but overall i went into this episode really excited because it was a beat-em-up special and i left incredibly satisfied 85 percent, i think is a very very fair score for this episode uh yeah i really really like it and i mean i'm a broken record at this point i like the format man i do i really like it and it's interesting to see as we've started to get people listening to the first couple of episodes of season three some of those folks that were going, oh, Dexter, Fletcher, are now going, you know what? Maybe I should give it a second go. Or maybe I was being unfair. Maybe it wasn't bad. It was just different. And honestly, I was not going into this season with an agenda of trying to change people's mind. But I just love seeing that people are keeping an open mind about it. And if you still yeah. hate it, dude, that's fine. No, That's absolutely yeah, fine. No, no hassle. Sorry that the next like six months or whatever it is it's gonna be a long ass time for you (laughs) could be even longer if we do bonus episodes just really drag this one out so what two bonus episodes a month see if we can make it to 2022 But that is all we've got time for. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find this podcast on social media platforms, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send your direct feedback to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want a bit of a real-time interaction where we're talking about games, we're talking about fonts, we're talking about all sorts of stuff, you can join us on our Discord. Lovely group of people there hanging out, talking about all sorts of things. We've got chat about the show. We've got chat about other things. There was a lot of just bits going backwards and forwards. It's a nice place to hang out. Please come on down. And you'll see me, the terror that flaps in the night, occasionally swooping down into the Discord, then swooping right back out again. You are like a fact owl. You just swoop in, (laughs) you regurgitate a fact like a pellet of owl waste, and then you disappear again. I am a Discord lurker. Uh, And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. And if you back us at the five pound level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free. But if you back us at the ten pound level, you get some bonus extras. Ash, what do they get? They get a mug. They get retro sweeties. They get stickers. They get pin badges. They get Power Rangers trading cards. Those have now replaced the pogs. And you know what, Luke? Live on episode I'm going to open a pack so we can actually see what's inside because I've been sending these out and I don't actually know. (laughs) So this is like... No one has told us what's on them. This is like opening FIFA packs on on Twitch. Well, this is what's really going to put this podcast over the edge now. We've hit a certain level of of listeners, but now we're doing an unboxing. So we're, we're about to like really get into the stratosphere. Okay, so we do have a number of cards here. We've got the Sabretooth Tiger 
Zordon tells oh, Trini that she will be given the ability to summon the powers of the invincible saber-toothed tiger. I mean, they're not that invincible. They did go extinct. But she will become the Yellow Ranger if the teens decide to accept his proposal. And they... Oh, God, they've got brain teasers on the back, Luke. <laughs> what is the word used to describe a sudden gust of wind in a storm? I feel like I'm on a fun house again. Do you remember when I got that uh, horse question wrong? The gale? Squall? Yeah, you're right. It's a squall. That's it. Yes! Nailed it. We've got a picture of the cast in Billy's garage. Very nice. We've got the rad bug, which is Billy's car, so that's actually kind of connected. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's our role models. It's Bulk and Skull. <laughs> Man, this is a Billy heavy pack. This is his vital stats. <laughs> Do you know he was born on April 1st, Luke? Don't tell me you don't come to this podcast and go away with some form of pointless information. Also, believe it or not, he is apparently 16 years old in this photo. <laughs> 16 going on 30. We have, from the story, we have Summoned by Zordon. Nice. And in every one of these packs, Luke, you get a shiny card. And we have Ooh. we have the same... Man, this is actually quite an on-theme pack. We've got a foil Sabertooth Tiger Dinosaur. If that doesn't help you back to Patreon, I don't know what will. But if that doesn't tickle your fancy, you will also get a £5 off voucher, which will give you a discount on our first T-shirt. That T-shirt, extra mugs, extra sticker, extra badges. And if you order from there, you get some extra cards. can be found at underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Robert, Jamie, Matt, Kyrick, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. Thank you all so much. You all rule, as does every single person who listens to this podcast. We will see you in seven days time for episode six of series three. Take care, everyone. Good night. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.